Hello, welcome to MikeyPod Podcast, episode 294 for July 27th, 2020. Today's guest is composer Molly Joyce, and I'm your host, Michael Heron. I'm a composer, pianist, electronic musician, storyteller, and activist based in New York City. On this podcast, I have conversations with fellow creators who use their creativity to change the world. I've been sending this podcast to your ears for 15 years this month. July 4th was the 15-year anniversary of this podcast, which, come on, 15 years. That's a long time to be doing something. Mm, sporadically as it has been at times, I've been doing it. So there you go. Yay. If you like what you hear, subscribe using the colorful buttons in the sidebar and footer at MikeyPod.com or just search MikeyPod in your favorite podcast directory. If you'd like to know more about me, you can stop by my website at MichaelHeron.com. Hit me up on social media everywhere as at MichaelHeron or email me MikeyPod at gmail.com. I am extremely excited about sharing this interview with composer-performer Molly Joyce with you. Um, the, in, in the descriptive words from the press release for her new album, uh, it says that she explores disability as a creative source. And we went so deep in so much of that stuff. And also, the thing that I find really beautiful about our conversation is that it, it sort of knew, <laughs> this is the conversation knowing about itself, we we were we're both in this place of sort of uh, evolution with how we're feeling about things, and she talks about her her um, history with disability studies, um, and well, you'll hear all this. It's just really it felt refreshing in a way, um, and and maybe this has shifted with me recently. Anyway, where I'm allowing myself to be fal uh, fallible in an effort to learn more and show up instead of being afraid of saying the wrong thing. So that said, I think I might have said a couple of wrong things in this podcast. And there's one specifically I'm thinking about in the bonus podcast. Uh, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, there is one because I referred to a person as being in a wheelchair. And I think the, the, the more correct way to say that is uses a wheelchair. It's just little things like that. But I want to learn this stuff. And sometimes getting it wrong is how you learn it. So there you go. If I got some other things wrong, I hope someone will tell me. And right now I'm becoming really aware that I'm worried still about getting it wrong. So there, that's where I am in that evolution. Here's some quick stuff that's up with me. If you want to check out my, uh, my work as a composer and whatnot, um, I have a new video on my YouTube channel. I did a cover of Wake Up in New York. Um, it's like a live feeling cover. I was playing the piano singing. Um, and yeah, so check that out on YouTube. I'm working really hard on learning Final Cut Pro right now. There's a video that I filmed. Um, I'm calling it the Birdman video, but it'll have a new name soon. I'm going to get that up next week. I'm working on writing my next zine. And those are the things. You can always find that stuff at michaelheron.com or on my social media. Um, yeah, this podcast is co-created with members of my Patreon community. This, this and everything else I do exists because of these people who subscribe for like a, a couple bucks up to like $25 or even you could do even more than that if you wanted to. Um, and they get in exchange of the warm feeling of knowing that they are <laughs> working together with a creator. Um, but also I send out zines and they get early access to this podcast and also bonus podcasts. So this Wednesday, um, a couple days after this podcast goes up, if you're a Patreon member, you can go to patreon.com slash Michael Heron and you could listen to it extra bonus interview with Molly Joyce, which you're not going to want to miss. It was good. And we discovered during the conversation that we 
both have a really big love for a particular band. Um, and it was really fun to talk about that. So all of that said, I want to play a track for you from uh, Molly's latest album. This is called Form and Flee. And after that, we'll hear the interview with Molly.
from her latest album, Breaking and Entering, that was Molly Joyce with Form and Flea. And joining me right now is Molly Joyce. Thanks so much for talking to me, Molly. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. We talked once before. I always feel like I need to make a confession <laughs> on the podcast and I lost the file, blah, blah, blah. It's always so <laughs> yucky when that happens. But anyway, I appreciate you, you talking again. And I feel like that was kind of like our little warm up chat. Yeah, exactly. That's what I was feeling. I feel like my thoughts and feelings have progressed so much, especially because I think that was right before COVID really hit in a way. So, yeah, like that was one of the reasons that I was like, oh, like it's maybe not so terrible <laughs> that we're yeah. doing it again because <laughs> the entire world is different now in this weird way. Exactly. Yeah. So before we go too far into that or whatever else we go, let's talk about the song we just listened to, Form and Flee. Um, I know it's kind of tricky to just be like, tell me about that song. But <laughs> what 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 do you have for us? Um, sure. So that's the second song on an album that was recently released on New Amsterdam Records. Um, the full album is titled Breaking and Entering. And it's kind of, I like to say, it's like a musical exploration of specifically, in my case, acquiring a disability. Um, I kind of impaired my left hand about 20 years ago in a car accident. Um, and ever since, it's been a kind of long and um, journey towards really you're not really wanting to identify as disabled at all, um, wearing long sleeves constantly, trying to hide my hand as much as possible and kind of normalize myself um, to really journey of, um, ex- I guess, accepting disability in a way, but really identifying as disabled and embracing it um, for all it has to offer. It's kind of creative and artistic offerings, um, which I feel like has kind of an endless journey for me now. Um, and with this album and specifically, I really wanted to interrogate my experience within the car accident. Um, it's not say too specific with like details of the car accident or at this time this happened or something, but it's more, um, kind of details the process of, you know, what just ask, like kind of artistically asking what happens when, um, physical sensation and movement leaves your body, kind of what comes in its place. Um, and yeah, and exploring that. So specifically with this song, Form and Flee. Um, it's kind of detailing how, you know, usually your body kind of forms as one in a way you're kind of born as one unit and what happens when um, part of your body kind of flees when you, of course, still have a lot of your life ahead of you. It's so interesting. And, and I'm finding myself in the same place I was, maybe not as much because I've done a little more reading. But, you know, uh-huh. like when we talked last time, there were a lot of moments in our conversation that I was like, whoa, like because... Well, one of the one of the big things that I took away from our last conversation, I still am trying to get my head around because it's such a um, a mental shift for me is this social model of disability, which you introduced me to. Um, Can you talk a little bit about that? Um, sure. So at least from my understanding, I feel there are some differing definitions of the social model, but the social model kind of identifies um, attitudinal and physical systemic barriers that really make people disabled in a way. Um, they can be barriers such as stairs or so no wheelchair access to also just these kind of ableist notions of, say, um, you know, you're not disabled enough if you're not in a wheelchair in a way or something like that. Um, And for me, just identifying kind of the social construction of disability um, was truly like life changing and transformational. And I'm not exaggerating and kind of made me think along the lines of gender and race with it and um, realizing that these experiences I had was having were common with um, other disabled people and really, again, made me want to explore it more in my practice and kind of push back against that social construction of this ideal body and what a body can and should be and 
kind of just open it up a little more. And I also do want to note, um, I'm still evolving with my understanding of this, but I think several um, disabled artists I know too are also question the social model in a way, because I think sometimes people put out the social model as kind of the answer to everything. Um, there should still be some questioning of that. And I don't have, I guess I wish I had a better answer to that now, exactly why, like there is questioning of it. Um, but I think that definitely has its purpose too. And um, just to show that it doesn't really end at stating the social model or something like that, or that you understand it. Or, yeah. Yeah. I guess, I guess the thing that, that really like jumped out at me and made me rethink, you know, and continue to, I guess that's what's, maybe I'm not alone in this feeling of like, whoa, what now? Like what, you know, because yeah. it sounds like you're in transition with your understanding of disability and, and the, our society's approach of it. And like, just knowing how to talk about it within this idea that, that it's something that just within yourself, you, you now are embracing about yourself when before it was something you tried to hide. I guess the thing that really shifted for me that I would like to continue to shift is this idea that that it's not our bodies that that are disabled in in within the context of this social model of disability. It says mm-hmm. that it's not our bodies that are disabled, but it's the social barriers that are causing the disability. Does that am I even putting that right? Yes, exactly. I think like these barriers that don't provide access in a way, you know, such as the stairs or something or such as no um, captioning or sign language interpretations, um, these barriers that I think often can be fixed in a way, you know, that don't allow that I think make these flawed assumptions that everyone has this perfect body, everyone can understand things, everyone can be super mobile, you know, and um, and that really drives me crazy. I think these kind of assumptions and don't provide kind of multiple um, physical and sensory inputs or interpretations um, to, you know, either a specific artistic work or event or something like that. Um, and I think I, I should have pointed out to like to maybe help understand it, like the contrast is maybe the medical model, which really delegates disability more um, to that of the medical field in a way, like the hospitals, the clinics, um, not really as a cultural and identity experience, a minority um, in its own right. Music, classical music, has mm-hmm. its own built-in barriers, physical barriers, yes. <laughs> which you also address. Yes, I try to. Again, that's like always evolving. I feel like this will be my question for everything. Well, it's evolving. Yeah, <laughs> so but I don't have to get pinned down for one question or something. But um, but yeah, I think more and more my understanding of it too. I think it's interesting when I reflect back on my practice and stuff, how I was really drawn to music composition, I think, because I love the computer and that, um, that immediate feedback of hearing my amazing MIDI sounds or whatever, (laughs) big video game to me. And I still love it to this day. Um, but I think also I was really drawn to that because I didn't have to deal with, like, I used to play trumpet and cello and these instruments I was trying to conform to. And, um, I started realizing how I feel like classical music, because I think especially within classical music, there's not as, um, I feel like you don't see as many disabled artists in a way or disabled musicians, um, as opposed to disability, like dance and visual art. I think it's much more thriving and not like it's perfect there, but um, I just think it has a greater presence. And I feel like some of that with classical music is with these specific instruments, which I think require like so much um, specific abilities of the performer and have a very narrow definition of what ability and really for that sake um, virtuosity is and what an excellent musician is is so confined again to this one set of abilities um, 
And of course, for me, it was very freeing once I discovered this vintage toy organ instrument, um, an instrument I love because it kind of suits my um, physically different hands better. It has um, chord buttons on the left-hand side and a keyboard part on the right-hand side. So it feels like it was like made for my body, very natural to perform on. And of course, I think I didn't have a lot of models of how people performed on it, which is very freeing in a way to um, so I could just approach it on my own and not have to worry about Again, this like specific set of abilities that it required. I can't remember if I told you when we talked before, but I had like a similar organ. Mine didn't have the cool stand. <laughs> and it was also like bright, like 70s orange when I got mine. <laughs> I think I want one of those. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I'll have to try to track down. I have a picture of myself as a kid playing it. But, um, oh. but I never thought of it as, you know... Uh, so much of what you do and how it has affected me as as a musician and a composer and just a human is <laughs> the like the things we've talked about already. And then this idea that your instrument of choice is this instrument I kind of discounted, you know, as, oh, mm-hmm. I graduated from playing that. Now I play pianos <laughs> and like synthesizers, you know, like in my mind, like somehow I was I had gone beyond that instrument and it was like kind of trash to me yeah exactly. but now it's the thing that brings you inspiration and releases limitations does that does that fit yeah definitely and it's funny I mean I definitely first viewed it as um not trash for or but just like I thought it was pretty limited and I thought I would always have to play with other performers or with dancers or something like not as its own thing and I mean, I do add a lot of um, electronic like backing tracks with it. Like I sample it a lot and then also add my voice now. Um, so I definitely like expand upon it in a way. Like I, I guess I don't often perform just with it in a way, but um, but it's definitely been a pivotal starting point, especially in relation to my disability. And I think also my relationship and development with it also parallels kind of my development with identifying as disabled and embracing my disability more. I guess like clearly you're um, kind of front and center in my work. So I, I guess I just say that too, because I really do recognize, you know, when I first got it, I thought it was essentially a toy, like hence the name, <laughs> just kind of an accessory. And yeah. Um, so, but it's, yeah, has infinite possibilities, I think. So. Yeah. And then I, I was, or I, I still am a pianist, but I started doing electronic music, I guess over the last four or five years. And there was a time period where I was learning how to use Ableton Live and like <laughs> learning all this, you know, engineering and synthesis and and realized like after a year or so of this, there was too much. There were too many options. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and so I think that's what is appealing to me and like fascinating to me about your work. Like the organ, it has one sound you know it's got well two I guess the chords and then the sound of playing the keys and yeah and and it's like how how have those limitations or maybe you said this already like how have those limitations like created openness for you is that I don't know if that's even a question that is answerable I mean it definitely is from a more whatever music theory perspective in the chord buttons like I think that those um the God, I should know this. I think it has 12 buttons total or um, like six major, six minor, and it'd be like B flat major, B flat minor. Like they parallel each other with the same root pitch, I guess. Um, and so that definitely drives a lot of the harmony I have with the organ pieces because then I think it's always interesting to mirror 
those chords like on the keyboard part in the side in a way because the um, timbre is so different so you can hopefully use them to your whatever advantage in a piece like for different colors or bring in the chords later um so I, but i think i really like that and i feel like i found have found very interesting at least to myself i, I find interesting harm harmonic possibilities from that which definitely inform my other pieces that are not even for the organ um and i think i've definitely I feel like it just has such endless possibilities with processing it in logic, especially or just even pitch shifting and going upon that. And sometimes I will just like hit the side and sample that for some drum sounds and things. Um, but it's, it's interesting because I feel like with my latest album, I'm definitely proud of it, but I feel like it's a very much maximalist approach in a way. Like I feel like I had just so many stems in each track and um, I feel like I'm actually trying to like bring it back a little now, like to, just really um, cherish the organ's original sound in a way, because I think I love to, and I also love to double it with MIDI sounds um, from my like Sibelius composing software, um, which again, I feel like I'm proud of that sound. I don't like regret it at all or anything, but also just recognizing the organ sound for what it has to offer, because I think that's already such a unique sound and like can't be replicated anywhere, I feel like. Yeah, and it's like like everything, like uh, that's kind of been a theme for us today. It's evolving, yeah. like you're, your interaction with that instrument is evolving and it evolved to this super layered place and maybe yeah. now to more more of its uh, pure pure quality. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bring it back to basics. But I I feel like I still hear the organ a lot in the album. Like it, you, it's not as mm-hmm. if it's hidden or Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's, I watched your Ted talk again yesterday. It's, it's so good. Um, but it's fun to see you, you perform with, uh, the organ as well. And, um, you've got your laptop there. So there are other layers of things happening. Um, yeah, I think that there's no question attached to that. (laughs) I think that was just like, yay, I liked watching that. Oh, thank you. Um, there was something you said in the Ted talk that I wrote down that I would be love for you to talk about where you said, I wish to recast disability from a fixed static imperfection to that of a fluid creative potential. Do, mm-hmm. Is it is it funny to, to like pull a quote from the past like that? <laughs> no, it is interesting, actually, because I feel like someone else brought that up to me recently. And I think, to be honest, like, I can't watch the TED Talk. I'm very embarrassed by it. Or, or more, I just feel like, again, like a lot of my thoughts have evolved, you know, since that, like, I feel like. Oh, yeah. I use, you know, I've learned so much more and I will continue learning. But um, so when someone brought that up anyway, um, because I I think I first that was initially whatever thought of in a way with um, kind of an independent study at the end of my graduate studies where I was doing disability studies for the first time, again, reading about the social model and um, particularly the work of Rosemary Garland Thompson, who's really a kind of pioneer um, in disability studies and scholarship and she states like often a need to move disability, I think from through her exact terminology, like the medical, in the medical realm to identity in a way like minority. Um, and I felt like along those lines, like moving it from something that, you know, it either like has to be in these lines of like, can't be fixed, like can't be um, engaged with, or you have to overcome it completely. Like you have to get totally back to the standard or I think that's why people love when like disabled musicians, they can still play Bach. They can still play these classic repertoire. Um, but I felt like there's so much in between to be explored, um, at least for myself. And that can be um, more fluid. That can be more towards the realm of able disabled or exploring those edges um, and not having such a like 
black or white answer to it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so yeah, and just really engaging disability for what it has to offer. And I try to, I guess, stress that even to myself, I think that um, I don't have to overcome it or it doesn't have to be inspirational to others, but I can explore it in its own like um, curious ways or um, like depressing and optimistic ways. And like, I feel like some of my music for it is pretty, I guess, depressing in a way or asking about like, where did you go or something like the sensation. And um, so not trying to deny that, but again, just artistically exploring it, um, which I feel like will, yeah, be an endless journey. I think, I think what appeals to me, you know, when I was studying music in college, there was a certain amount of like, uh, frustration just mm. about how you know there was this black and white idea of like I remember my uh, piano private teacher telling me like you don't you can't play Beethoven like that like he, it's a direct quote <laughs> and I and it was like well a like okay like how would I have known that <laughs> like what how do you play it <laughs> and then why why is it that it always has to stay the same. And I think that's kind of what's what feels exciting about your awareness shifting. It kind of opens the question to all of music. Like why why would why is it, you know, for a disabled person, why is it a goal to be able to still play Bach instead of, oh, let's create a new kind of music that fits for this kind of body. It's like super like I love the idea of evolving and things changing and learning new stuff. No, exactly. No, thank you. And I think exactly. And um, I think not or yeah, or just opening up to many different options to play. And I mean, I do hesitate. I've been thinking about this a lot actually recently because I try to um, apply for some doctoral studies eventually around like reimagining virtuosity in music through disability. Um and I don't, I know I'm more experienced obviously as a composer and not performing as much. And I don't want to, um, try to propose like how to teach on all these instruments in a way. Like, I feel like the tradition is very valuable. And even for myself as a composer, I know I definitely value my training and the craft gained from that, like harmony, voice leading, like all those things I think are endlessly like helpful to me and more of this objective training. Um, but I also think there's so much flawed notion, especially with more specifically instrumental music training of um, such a focus on one set of ability and one set of virtuosity, like this kind of physical finesse of virtuosity, um, which I just think is, I don't know if this is the right word, but very like alienating in a way. And yeah. I think the audiences that go there, like they can't play those instruments too. And of course, um, music events usually don't have a lot of accessibility with them, such as, um, audio visual description, sign language and so on. Um, and I just think it really just narrows the field um, in not the best way. Basically. Yeah, in in a lot of ways, like yeah, it's but <laughs> I mean, to be too negative, I think it's. Yeah. But I think, but it is like a positive way. The way we're talking about, it, I think, <laughs> you know, because it's like, oh, there's another world. You know, there's another way we could do this and make it accessible in all these different ways. Mm, definitely. Yeah. Yay. So there's another little, another term. I think it came from the TED talk. So it, and you may have evolved on this, but, it, and I think you got it from some, anyway, the, the thing that I wrote down was vulnerability is the new virtu virtuosity. Yeah. And that's from, um, the disabled musicologist, um, pianist and composer, Stefan Sunandan Hanish, um, writes that, or I kind of paraphrase it actually, I think, or he wrote, 
something in one of his articles, like vulnerability and disability, um, like virtuosity, demand heightened forms of performance and engagement, um, which is just so interesting, I think. And I've also been doing some reading recently on the social construction of virtuosity um, and the value that's placed in that to like kind of um, compo- um, comprise an excellent musician, per se. And um, yeah, I'm still, again, as I always keep saying, I'm still very much learning about this. I don't have anything super elegant to say, I think, about it, but um, um, it's interesting to think about. It. Yeah, <laughs> for people who are listening, I'll, I'm going to track down some of these things and put links in the show notes for this episode. There was another thing, like, now this is another TED Talk thing, and sorry I'm leaning so heavily on this, but there were just a lot of little notes I wrote down. You you were you talked about and I would actually be interested if you have evolved on this too. Toward the end of your talk, you kind of talked about physical differences or and your physical difference as being a miracle in some ways. Is that does that still fit? And did I understand that correctly? Uh, definitely. I think, I mean, I don't, it's not like I wake up every day and I look at it and say, oh, this is a miracle or something, but, um, I mean, a more, yeah, I can't imagine, yeah, where I'd be without it in a way. Um, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in recovery and that was one of the things when I got sober that was, <laughs> I was, I was super, I was in my twenties when I got sober, but there was this sort of thing that for whatever reason, the AA group that I went to had a big emphasis on like this is who you are like really you know it's not a entirely positive thing but positive things come out of the things that occur in our lives um so it's it's interesting to hear you talk about that too a thread in your life i feel like you know you can't get rid of it obviously i think you know so um like letting it be kind of i think the force that it wants to be in your life and and for me, my artistic output as well. Yeah, and 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 let it be part of the things in your life. I mean, I'm thinking in terms of the the musical voice you found <laughs> with discovering this organ and how well it works with your body. You know, like it, you allowed that difference to lead the way and create things in your life that wouldn't have been there otherwise. Uh, yeah, definitely. I think because I think especially at first I. Of course, you can't control what other people think, but I felt like, because it kind of, I feel like especially near the end of graduate school, I was more, say, coming out as disabled in a way, or just starting to do these disability studies, and I think a lot of people, you know, were saying, oh, I didn't even know your hand, or you know, and I didn't want it to be, say, like, a pity story or a victim story. I wasn't trying to say, like, oh, I've suffered so much here in the corner or something, but... um, but also realizing that, like, there's no denying it, I think, or why not let it inform my artistic work and it always has in a way like I feel like my work always has been very physically motivated or just simple things like the players or the player will start playing on the glockenspiel and eventually that rhythm will go down to their ankle bells or something like that but um and yeah I just think there's no denying it in a way oh I love this conversation we we should (laughs) we should wrap it up but rambling (laughs) wait no but I'm like I don't think it's rambling at all I think it's part of this process. Like I always am accusing myself of rambling or like not, yeah. not um, communicating clearly, but I think it's because these are topics that we're, that are still forming. Like you said, like we're still figuring out where we stand as humans with new information and new awareness and perspective. So I'm all for it. Yeah. Whatever oh, that's no. worth. 
<laughs> Let's talk about, before we go, I'd love to talk about another song on the album that we're going to listen to. Uh, it's called Who Are You? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Um, sure. So the song, I was kind of questioning, his, I would say like more after the car accident in a way, um, kind of like this new formation on my body in the way of kind of my disfigured left hand and arm with a lot of scars and nerves missing um, and just questioning like, who are you? Like, where'd you come from? Yeah. And, and, and then the lyrics kind of evolved to like my identity, my fluidity, fragility, um, forming a new identity with that. Mm. So this is also from the new album. Uh, if you want to hear more of our conversation, patrons, there will be a new uh, a bonus interview on Patreon, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. And you can hear more from me and Molly. In the meantime, thanks for joining me today, Molly. No, thank you for having me. And this is Who Are You?
from her latest album, Breaking and Entering, that was Molly Joyce with Who Are You? Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you, Molly, if you're listening, for being on this podcast. Um, If you are listening to the show and you like the music you heard, please go buy a copy of the album at Bandcamp or you could listen to it streaming or buy it in any of the streaming libraries and listening places, Spotify, Apple Music, iTunes. You can go to all of them. Go to all of them. Listen to it everywhere. Um, Yeah, artists need to be consumed that's a weird way to put it but you know what i mean so thank you for that uh patrons if you are a subscriber on patreon you can listen to an extended bonus interview with molly talk about some more stuff music she loves music i love music we both discovered that we love which was very exciting to me because not everyone loves this band um so it was fun this okay Something about doing this ending thing, I wind up in this little circle where I can't stop. But it's time to stop. I told you everything. Become a patron, patreon.com slash Michael Heron. Want to hear from you, MikeyPod at gmail.com or find me on social media. That's all you need to know. And support the artists. Go check it out. All right. See you next time.